welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode where we cover an individual stock and go over the basics of a company in about 45 minutes or so. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you understand this company well. And we're talking Lending Club. It is, well, it was a hot IPO about five years ago and it was kind of um, a tough story. We'll get into the history eight years ago now, I guess, more, more than five years ago. Um, stock was down almost 90, over 95% has since recovered. They've transitioned their business model. We'll get into all that stuff, but Brad, this was your choice today. Why did you pick it? And did you know about lending club beforehand? Yeah. Uh, learned about lending club through, uh, researching upstart and just, uh, I mean, as a big fan of upstart and, and what they're doing, uh, I wanted just to, to learn more about this, uh, similar, but different same but different <laughs> approach that that lending club takes um and, and we'll get in we'll get into a little bit why why they're different but just i mean the the bank partner route versus the bank charter route is is the real line in the sand and i, and I wanted to, to learn more about how that's serving them yep they're a lender as brad is alluding to there i'm gonna let ryan introduce the company but first let's talk about our presenting sponsor for the not so deep dive episode potential multi-baggers. They've been our sponsor for a long time and you know that they provide a quality service. The aim of potential multi-baggers is to find stocks that can go up 10X over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Now, these are high growth stocks. They're going to have lots of volatility, but the aim is to hold them for a long period of time. Of course, they have to continually perform and do well. The businesses have to continue to grow you know, grow, grow their financials, grow their revenue, grow their cash flow, all that good stuff. And Chris, who we've had on the show before and his team behind potential multi-bayers, they call this buy and verify. So when they make their picks, they're not just making it and letting you go out on your own and then seeing if a stock goes down 50%, you have no idea why. They are with you writing about stuff, doing updates constantly. I get their emails. They're doing multiple emails per week, analyzing these companies. So if you want to partner with some high growth investments. Uh, they're a great team to go along with it. And if you want to sign up for potential multi-baggers and become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value. Google it or go to at From Value on Twitter. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce Lending Club? Yes. So Lending Club, not to be confused with Lending Tree. I uh, made that mistake, wasted a few hours of research, but don't worry about that. Uh, Lending Club was founded as a marketplace designed to bring installment loans. And uh, most people probably know what installment loans are, but it's basically just a loan where you get a set set amount all at once and then pay it back over scheduled payment dates. Um, so they were trying to bring installment loans to the digital age. Um, and so people looking for loans to help say, pay off their credit card debt, their credit card refinances is a popular product for them. Um, people trying to pay off their credit card debt would come to Lending Club, they'd input a bunch of information and Lending Club would process the data, determine their credit worthiness, and then connect them with a loan offer from a third-party bank. And so that third-party bank, and there may have been multiple, uh, then defer the risk by selling the loans to loan investors. Um, and so they 
that part, like a lot of banking products, is probably a little more complicated than it sounds. They might do different bundling packages, have different risk, uh, I guess, tranches, depending on the type of investor. But those loan investors basically include other banks, asset managers, insurance companies, hedge funds, some probably high net worth individuals, anyone that's trying to get. And if you're wondering why would there be those loan investors, a lot of these are, say, personal loans that are high interest. Um, and so you could get 10, 12% on a personal loan, let's say, and as a loan investor, that's pretty attractive. So that's basically what brings them in. And then Lending Club would receive money from that third-party bank basically for referrals. And this was known as transaction revenue. And that for a long time was their primary source of revenue. Uh, anyway, fast forward to 2022, Lending Club has now acquired a digital bank called Radius Bank Corp. So now Lending Club no longer needs to go through third-party banks. Instead, Lending Club can either sell the loans to loan investors themselves, or they can invest in those, uh, or they can fund the loans with their own balance sheet. Um, and so that it's it's a very different business. Um, and these loans include personal loans up to forty thousand dollars business loans, auto refinances, patient solutions was another one of their products. And I think this is um, like dentists or doctors can use Lending Club to help their patients finance the the basically visits. Um, and those are, those are, that's kind of the holistic view of the business. Does that all make sense? Am I, am I blanking on anything? It's a bank. It that's, basically is a bank now, it, but they still have uh, transaction fees. Right. They have a bank plus another business. Yeah. So they are still, I guess, banks sell loans anyways, too. So yeah, it's a bank at this point. And uh, I'll get into the history though. Lending Club was initially launched on Facebook in 2006 as one of Facebook's first applications. Kind of interesting there. Wonder what it would be if it was still on there. Mm, I don't know. Everything that launches, like that. everything that launches on Facebook or like Amazon, and there's always a partner, it almost feels like they're a virus. And eventually Facebook takes all your profits. So I feel like that's what happened. You know, I feel, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in this case, they were able to get off Facebook pretty quick. So in 2007, Lending Club received a $10 million Series A round um, and then turned into a full scale independent peer to peer lending platform. They call it peer to peer, but I, I take some, hesitance with that term because it's really like uh institution to peer in this case because it's it's big investors typically right not um, peer not a real peer play peer to peer if you yeah. want to describe it like that yeah anyway the um they grew it's not fast. venmo it's yeah, not it's, venmo <laughs> and it's they're not you're not like we're not like an individual buying the loans that would be peer to peer i think you have to be i'm guessing an accredited investor yeah probably to buy these um but that's not that important. And the, uh, I guess it grew pretty fast pre-IPO, um, but they did face a lot of regulatory headwinds. Um, and that's kind of been a theme throughout their entire history. Um, and maybe it's just that they are kind of peer-to-peer -peer lending was kind of like a new concept, I guess, or bringing installment loans to the digital age maybe faced a lot of hurdles. Um, but they IPO'd in 2014 and then in 2016, they ran into a lot of trouble. So uh, based on a Wikipedia article about Lending Club, it says in April 2016, a Lending Club employee reported Laplanche, or I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, Laplanche was the CEO at the time, uh, that the dates on approximately $3 million 
3 million US dollars in the firm's loans appeared to have been altered. Uh, Lending Club then hired an internal auditor to investigate the issue, and it was reported that this investigation found additional problems with loans, including that $22 million in loans, which had been sold to Jeffrey's investment bank, did not in fact meet the bank's investment criteria. Lending Club bought these loans back from the bank and resold them. So following the issue, uh, the board of directors basically asked Laplanche to step down, and he did. Um, Lending Club's stock at one point was down more than 95% from its post-IPO highs. Um, it's still down substantially from its post-IPO highs, but it, it looks like they've turned things around a bit. Uh, and I believe most of the regulatory problems are now in the rear view. Um, they right. settled with the FTC in 2021, so that should be behind them, at least that case. But there's still some lawsuits I saw in the 10Q uh, if you're really interested in this company, I'd probably research that. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they, they could have some regulatory issues. But now, since they're a bank, it's going to be more structured. So they're not going to have the chance to mess up for that long, since as a bank, you have the people following you constantly. Um, all right. Industry and competition, pretty simple. They estimated, and this was just management at an investment conference, that their market opportunity was $120 billion in 2019. That has come down recently because the demand for these type of products has decreased because of the COVID dynamics and the stimulus and all that stuff in the United States. That There's a ton of variables, but the long story short, the demand for loans like this has, the market's gone down a bit. But for reference right now, they're doing approximately $1 billion in originations a month. So they have pretty decent market share of their existing market opportunity. However, as we'll talk about later, they're going to continue to try to lend and do more products. So I think their market market opportunity will grow. $120 billion is not the entire uh, lending market in the United States. So hopefully that'll grow over time. Competitors, pretty easy to identify, but there are a ton of them. So banks are a competitor, a lot of fintechs out there. Some individual ones I think I would highlight would be Square. They're doing individual loans on the Cash App now, SoFi um, and Upstart. Uh, if you want to listen to our show on Upstart and the interview we did with Chris from uh, Potential Multibaggers, Upstart is a bit different, but they're still kind of competing with Lending Club, except or they're not a lender. Our not so deep dive from like a year ago now. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. I think that was the first time we all looked at the business. Yeah. So competitors, My though. Sorry. Go ahead, My inspiration for owning Upstart, that, that was the episode. That's right. Got to be your favorite episode from last year, then, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> made you a bit, made you a bit of money there. The uh, basically anyone uh, that is any company that's lending to people that's uh, going to be a competitor because the whole goal for Lending Club is to increase the volume of loans on their platform and have a good loss ratio. If that's the correct term, I don't know all the banking terms, but you know, have not not have them all be bad loans. All right, let's move to management and ownership. Brad, do you want to talk about the team over at Lending Club? Yep. So current CEO is Scott Sanborn. He's been the CEO since 2016, which um, I think if Ryan or I'm looking at the dates. So, so, uh, so after, so around the time of that, of that regulatory fog, he kind of took over. Um, he's been also the COO since 2019 when Samir Gulati, uh, who was the COO from 2016 to 2019 left to work on some other uh, fintech startups. And it looks like he's also the chief marketing officer. So he has, and this is according to the website, three executive roles uh, with the company as of right now that all say present. Um, so I, good for him. Busy B. Real, real renaissance, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was uh, the chief revenue officer and chief marketing officer at a company called eHealth Insurance. 
and he's got a 77% Glassdoor approval rating. Um, so pretty good, not amazing, but it has over 700 reviews. So that's that's a pretty um, pretty sizable uh, sample size or si- sizable sample size. Uh, but but yeah, you can take it with pretty seriously, I think. So CFO is Tom Casey. He's been the CFO since 2016. He's got an incredible resume. He's been the CFO at JP Morgan and Citibank. He's been, and that, he was at JP Morgan in that role for six years. He's also been the CFO of GE Capital for, for a decade. Um, so really impressive resume. Um, good to have him on the exe- executive team, I think for sure. Uh, the chief administrative officer is Brandon, P- Brandon Pace. He was a former vice president and general counsel at eBay. He worked for a bunch of law firms that I, I didn't recognize before that. And then chief capital officer is the other one that I'll, other person that I'll highlight, it's Valerie Kay. She climbed the ladder at, at London Club and spent before then 12 years as a managing director at Morgan Stanley. So definitely some relevant experience. In terms of ownership, uh, this is one of the first proxy statements I've ever seen that didn't actually give us um, ownership data, but uh, third party sources all had very similar um, me- measurements of insider ownership. So I think that's a pretty solid indication. But Sanborn outright only owns about 28 million in stock. Uh, he does make 6 million a year, so don't feel bad about him. And there also are some restric- restricted stock units outstanding that Brett's going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so, and then institutional ownerships at roughly 80% of the float with total insider ownership. So the executive team, board of directors, all that at just 2% of the float, um, which is not, not super uncommon um, considering there, there have been some changes in leadership. Uh, that that generally correlates pretty heavily to lower insider ownership because founders like to pay themselves a lot in stock early on. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's how ownership st- or shakes out, and we'll move on to valuation now. Well, uh, I think the reason he makes six, a six million dollar salary is because the COO gets paid two million, the CMO right. gets paid two million, and so does the CEO. <laughs> right, right, right. Two million per per job title. Um, so he earns he he definitely earns every penny. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty high salary, but it's not, it's not like egregious or anything like that. Um, seems, I mean, it's high, but it's not like, oh man, this guy's just totally stealing all the, the money that could be profits. But I'll have valuation. Uh, I referenced market cap was only $400 million in October of 2020. So it has been, it was totally in the dumps. Um, current market cap is $2.5 billion. Uh, so it's, it's really had a strong recovery here. Obviously it's still, you know, since it was down 95% plus from its IPO, it's still down a ton from its IPO, but as you can see, and we'll get into the business has recovered quite a bit. Ticker is LC. Um, so I think PE metric is probably the best one to use for this company. I usually do not like to use PE metric, which is price to earnings, uh, if anyone that doesn't know. And we like to focus on cash flow, but since this is a bank, I think earnings is a much better indicator of how of how they're doing. However, since COVID, they've had a total, like uh, their originations were down a bit and they're only slightly recovering from that. So it says their PE is like 300 if you look at it, but the last quarter they did what, like 20 something million in uh, in net income, something like that. Uh, so I would use PE here, but it, right now the current one doesn't look that hot. I would look at the the current quarter. Um, it's really hard to put multiples on this thing. I mean, you look at the interest income margins, all that stuff. Brad, do you have something to add there? Yeah, just in Coifin, if uh, if anyone's familiar with the service, it's I'll, I'll give it a, a free shout out and promotion. But it has them at like fifteen one five times twenty twenty two earnings, and then like eleven times twenty twenty three. So as Brett's kind of saying, they're inflecting to positive net income right now, and the and the the PE will 
is, is reflecting that and will rapidly come down. Right. The yeah, analysts uh, who follow the company definitely think that this will yeah continue and that their PE versus whatever their 2022 estimates is pretty low, but trailing, it's going to look really inflated. Uh, price to gross profit, which I guess can be a decent one, is 4.2, so pretty low. Only other thing I'd mention is they have 11 million RSUs and 5.4 million granted uh, through the first nine months of 2021 versus shares outstanding of 100 million. So if they're granting 5 million RSUs a year, I don't know if this is going to be every year, but if they're granting 5 million RSUs a year, that'll be a 5% dilution rate. So that's pretty impactful for this business. Other than that, I mean, they have a return on equity of 14% right now, which is pretty impressive, but they used to be, this is like their only quarter that's ever been positive. So it's hard to tell if this is a one-time thing. All right, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah. And I'll start with the full year guidance that they gave and then kind of move to the most recent quarter. I'll also, I know Brett kind of alluded to this, but their earnings are bank earnings. So it's a little, it's difficult or it's different uh, than reading a typical, say, SaaS company. The financial statements don't look quite that, uh, quite, quite alike. So the first for, I guess, the fiscal year of 2021, Lending Club expects to generate $796 to $806 million in revenue. Um, that's a 153% increase from 2020, but roughly a 5% increase from 2019. So in 2020, they saw a 71% decline in transaction fee revenue. I don't know if that was them weaning off the third-party banks or no, no. purely just a decline in originations? That's it. Yeah, it's just a decline in originations. So but, it, even if the originate wasn't their stuff, originations. No, no, they are always originating. But that after it, yeah, after no, it gets they, originated, they weren't, they weren't originating on, until they were a bank. They started originating, but they couldn't originate until they were a bank. Okay, I'm using I'm using this term wrong, but they get the transaction fees like that's what Ryan's referring to they here. Did, so they they reported originations in 2019, which was prior to them having Radius Bank Corp. So I think originations they're using the term differently than than you're thinking. Is it's like referrals. Yeah. Yeah. Sourcing. Sourcing is a better term. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so 2020 was, I guess, just a terrible year for them. Um, but this year they're expecting just over $10 billion in loan originations for the year. That's a double from 2019 or 2020. Um, and it's a little less than 2019. Uh, but it's a different, uh, those originations have different economics now because a lot of that is funded by themselves. Um, so the revenue mix looks different today. Um, so for reference, in the third quarter, Lending Club had $181 million in non-interest revenue. So that's the referral or transaction revenue, but had $65 million in net interest revenue. Um, they actually report it as net interest income, but it's pretty much just revenue. Um, and so that's a 76% to 24% split. Last year, they only had 18% coming from interest revenue. So I believe their net interest income is up like, I want to say 300%. Um, I, I should probably have that number handy, but I don't. Um, and so they're seeing a lot of growth in that. They're starting to fund a lot more of these loans themselves and a lot of different products themselves, I guess, because it's not all like personal loans. Um, and then their earnings before taxes was $30 million for the quarter. So that's about a 12% EBT margin. Um, and then net income margin was about 11%. So they are starting to see that inflection upwards in their earnings. Um, what, what, earning mar what earnings margins do they have at scale? I'm not really sure. I guess you could probably just 
compare to other digital banks um, because it's probably not all that different. Uh, but yeah, profitable profitable business should be a profitable business, but it's certainly a different one than it used to be. Um, I yeah. think, and they talk about uh, being their own bank, they're able to pull out a lot of the costs and that they're going to be more profitable as their own bank. So yeah, hopefully that will continue. They did mention that about their goal is for in between 15% and 25% of all new loans that are originated to end up on their balance sheet but before they sold all of them off to third parties. All right, Brad, do you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity? Yeah, it's actually, it's pretty, uh, it's in pretty good shape. So 862 million in cash and equivalents. They have another 340 million in restricted cash and marketable securities. Uh, they have just 15 million in long-term debt and then another two and a half million in interest-bearing deposits, another 46 million in short-term borrowings, and then 300 million in retail notes. So uh, just quick math, like 350, 360 million in, in debt liabilities on, on the balance sheet. Um, and it looks like interest expense was around 7% of revenue in the last quarter. So not, not that low, um, to be honest, but, um, but the balance sheet's not, not in any kind of stressed shape, um, from what I can tell. Yeah. And you did say 2.6 million, but I want to, it's 2.6 billion oh. in interest. Oh, bearing deposits. Yeah. 2.6 billion in interest bearing deposits. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Yeah. My that's point. the big part of the balance sheet is, uh, you know, they have the assets and liabilities of the banks. Um, all right, let's hit the ad break. And then we're going to talk more about our opinions analysis, what we like and dislike about lending clubs business. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us opportunities. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we have anecdotal evidence. I don't think any of us have used, well, maybe Brady and write anything down. Have you used the product? Um, what are your nope. thoughts on it, I guess? Nothing. Uh, I, I did, I guess I, I filled it on application and it was pretty easy. Um, so that there's my anecdotal evidence. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Yeah. I, I did the same thing as Brad just to take a look at it. Um, and for some reason I like, don't like giving up my data. I don't know why I have that sort of caution, but, uh, so I put in like a fake name and. Oh yeah. It's not out there. Don't worry. And they're no like, one has it. They're like, <laughs> We can't find you, so they 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 acquire a lot of data, I believe, uh, from a third party. It's very uh, unique, yeah. But no, I've never apply, applied for a personal loan. I don't see why, and we're going to get to this. I don't see why I wouldn't just price shop across all the platforms, just to see who could give me the cheapest loan. Um, I'm certainly not loyal to a single one, or would I be? Yeah. All right. I'll hit mine. Yeah. Same thing for me. I mean. My only thought anecdotally is that, okay, if I'm a person that is going to need a loan like this, uh, fortunately I'm not, but if I was, I would have no urge to choose them over someone else. And that's comparing it to say another, a lot of other product categories. 
you definitely have brand loyalty. And I feel like with this one, there's less of it. It's more of just, okay, I'm going to shop around. And if the person I'm been used using before, which maybe can help Lending Club because they have the established base. If the person I'm using before has close to the best rate, I'm probably going to use them because I have an established relationship. All right. Future growth opportunities. Brad, what do you uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, I, I think so. The payday loan market rightfully gets a terrible rep, rep, reputation um, and, and it's because it's it's predatory in, in a lot of ways. But but I think um, there's there's so much room to fix it, and there's still so much need for people to take out loans of a, of a couple hundred dollars, not just a couple thousand dollars, um, and, and and that need won't really go away. So if a company and upstarts actively trying to do this, and, and I think Lending Club should be as well, if they have an underwriting model that's capable of of identifying what people call this this hidden prime, um, what what a FICO score or credit model isn't capable of of determining is a prime borrower, but truly is a prime borrower based on alternative data. Um, if they're capable of doing that, then then you can turn what's two, three hundred percent APRs that that people are are or annual percent rates. I'm sorry, APR annual percent rate that people are paying um, to to take out four or five hundred dollars. Um, and and Upstart's going to try and do it for thirty six percent or less, which I know, holy shit, thirty six holy crap, thirty six percent is is a is is a really tough pill to swallow, but it's a lot less tough than two three hundred percent. So so I think doing this better is a really big opportunity for for a lot of institutions and a lot of banks and a lot of um, fintechs like like Upstart. And, and it, I, I should say it'll, it'll also inevitably invite more regulatory attention and scrutiny because this 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 form of lending has such a rightfully deserved terrible rep, reputation. Sorry. Yeah. And I think Lending Club has that same 36% figure. So I think the uh, a lot of these platforms are trying to, I guess, displace the old way. Um, my future growth opportunity, and this isn't uh, a very novel one, but it's just funding the loan originations. They obviously have the bank uh, bank business, or I guess they have a bank charter now. Um, but the, utilizing them as a bank uh, to earn interest income really feels like what's going to happen for this business moving forward. And it doesn't have to all just be personal loans either. There are a lot of other areas where they can earn interest income. So some of the ones they highlight on their earnings report is residential mortgages, equipment financing, commercial real estate. These are all part of their current loans and leases that are held for investment. Um, I guess the opportunities to earn interest are kind of endless. Um, So I guess wherever they can do it, um, especially now that they have the bank charter, that's, that's what they should be doing. Yep, I'll hit mine. It's auto loans. They're getting into auto loan refinancing for their 3.8 million members. This is a large and well, I don't know if it's lucrative, but it's you know, it's a large and I think pretty profitable market. And when they can put these loans on their balance sheet, like Ryan was describing, that can be a lot better for this business specifically. So for reference, management was talking about this. They say a loan on their balance sheet earns three times as much compared to just an origination. So to describe this again, because it's the most important part. Previously, they would source the loan in their marketplace and then sell it to someone else. Now they source it and own it um, as an investment, quote unquote, on their balance sheet like a traditional bank. They also before, bear the risk. And they take the risk along with it. So when they would just originate, which, and then sell it to someone else, they said on average they would earn $4 for every $1,000 that they would originate. But now under this new model, they earn $12 for every $1,000 they originate, which can before their model was really not that profitable. Now it can actually be profitable and they can self-finance this. They described it as a flywheel, um, but they're just describing a banking business model. So it's like 
still, it's a good business model and it's a lot more profitable. Don't know if I'd call it a flywheel. Uh, but yeah, that's my future growth opportunity. Let's hit highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you like and dislike about this business? No, it's the, it's the flyest wheel for sure. But um, <laughs> for, for highlights, uh, I think it's, it's blatantly obvious that FICO scorers need a, a makeover and an upgrade and an evolution um, in products like this that leverage or try to leverage and say they are. Modern data science can do that. I think there's a lot, a lot more information that's needed on on borrowers uh, uh, to uncover the true risk of a borrower that, that FICO Plus models that most banks are using just just can't do. Um, so there's a lot of value to create there for companies that are able to underwrite more effectively um, and to offer lower rates and to raise approval rates without impacting loss ratios. You can overnight you can create a larger loan book without taking on more risk if you can do this um acceptably if you can do this effectively over long periods of time which kind of leads into the low light of uh which is which is not specific to lending club but it's specific to that sector including upstart i own and i'm excited about of of how how much of this um of this impairment rate outperformance how much of this um loss ratio outperformance is powered by stimulus checks being put in people's pockets um and how much of this demand is, is being driven by by the macro backdrop being pretty darn favorable for personal loans at the moment, considering how cyclical the loan industry is. So how how sustainable was that incredible um, 2021 that both of these companies just had? Um, and, and I think we're gonna learn a lot about that in, in 2022. Um, so yeah, low light is how much of the success was unique to them and how much of the success was unique to their their environment. That's a good point too. Interest rates, all-time low. That helps with lending too. Uh, Ryan, what's your highlights and lowlights? Well, uh, let me also mention that, Brad, you you talked about them displacing the FICO score, but this, uh, here's, here's a part of their 10K. It says, borrowers applying for loans through our programs must meet certain requirements or certain minimum credit requirements, including a minimum FICO score. They're just, so they're using the FICO score. Yeah, Upstart is Brad. You know it more than me, but Upstart. Is yeah, they, they've Upstart's eliminated all FICO minimums. Um, when right. when they're actually originating a bank, you know, bank bank partners can specify FICO minimums. Um, and and then a lot of them have been eliminating that as they become more confident in the model. Um, so so that's a that's a good thing to point out, Ryan. I just I just think there's there's a lot more information needed to finish painting the picture of risk that FICO doesn't. Um, address and 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 collecting more data and, and correlating that data effectively can can create a lot of value. Right. It sounds like Upstart is confident to just not include it all, but Landing Club is kind of still wants to attach a bit to the old model and then add stuff on top of it. Yeah, they use it as a variable, but it, it's it's just one of many many um, variables okay. that they use. Right. My highlights. Uh, I think the Radius acquisition just makes Lending Club a better business, a more attractive business. Uh, obviously, it allows them to fund the loans themselves. It, gives, it also gives them a cheaper funding source. They highlighted this, um, consumer deposits instead of third-party warehouse funding. Um, but if they're spending a ton on sales and marketing in order to attract customer deposits, the, the, the cost might still be expensive um, to, in order to get that money in. Uh, but either way, I still think Lending Club looks like a much better business with Radius in there. Um, they also have some experience on their side, which I think should give them, uh, I guess, years of data to help them enhance their credit determinations. So if they have sort of decades worth 
of experience in seeing borrowers, they know where they've made mistakes and hopefully they're learning from that. And uh, it should be quote unquote, enhancing their models or, um, or I guess they're, do they use the term AI in there or is it machine learning? I don't know. Just, I yeah, I don't know. I, for upstarted every paragraph. <laughs> uh, low lights for me. I don't see a single competitive advantage in they're just a bank. Yeah. But, and they're also not, so the competitive advantage of an existing like bank of America, chase Wells Fargo, whatever is switching costs. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Um, for a personal, uh, I don't think lending club could have that, but I think it's not as strong just because you're not attached to them basically for all your personal finances. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at Radius because that's obviously an important part of the business now that they're going to get a lot of their money through uh, consumer deposits. And it, it doesn't, there's nothing that excites me about it versus in terms of a digital bank. There's nothing that for me says this is going to be, uh, this is going to grow market share among digital banks versus say an ally or something like that. Right. So right. that's that, that, that to me, I guess, um, it just seemed like it lacked competitive advantages. Yeah. All right. Highlights for me. I like the bank acquisition. I think we're all in agreement with that. It fixed the unit economics. Their FTC issue was settled, although, you know, there's still kind of an overhang there. And I don't think it's mainly from the FTC, but I think maybe there's a consumer overhang where people don't think lending club is a reputable place. And that's very important. Uh, I don't know. They still have 3.8 million members, but there could be some people that don't like them because they heard about the story. Um, highlight for me is rapidly growing ROE, which is return on equity. And that is the most important metric for a bank. And I guess to do a little lesson, because I think a lot, we, we never really talk about ROE, probably because we don't talk about banks that much, but the average return on equity for the banking industry in say the third quarter of 2021 was 5.3% in 20 or excuse me, 2020 was 5.3%. The average ROE in the third quarter of 2021 was 14%. So Lending Club is really right on par with everyone there. And it measures the amount of company's income that is returned as shareholders equity. So it's just the return on equity. That's what it is. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, I know a lot of people when you're, you're uh, learning about this, um, that can seem like a mystery what return on equity is. All right, let's get back to anything else I had. Uh, let's see. I mean, they, I guess they have an asset light model that gives them some sort of an advantage versus traditional lenders. They said that gives them a cost advantage, but over time, I think that'll disappear as all bank branches go away. Like, oh, just like versus traditional banks. Yeah, exactly. Who are really some of their largest competitors. Now, a lot of their other competitors are still the same asset light. And over time, that should all go to zero. Well, it's for me, uh, FTC overhang, heavy dilution is coming, and it seems like if it's going to be a four to five percent rate, that is a big headwind. And I'm not confident in their competitive advantage or any sort of reason why people go to them five years from now, which is kind of the big concern for me: the durability of this business versus competitors like Upstart, SoFi, you name it. Um, but that's really it. All right, bull case, Brad. What's your bull case for this business? Yep. Uh, so bull case is this 150% growth and improving unit economics that they had uh, wasn't just recouping uh, pent up demand and, and wasn't just recovering from a pandemic um, and wasn't macro driven, but is instead just the start of something 
something big. So again, looking at Coifin, they're they're expecting above twenty percent growth for the next three years. Um, so that I mean, yeah, uh, that versus five percent growth over twenty nineteen. I mean, that would be a pretty large step up when we're comparing similar macro backdrops. So uh, that if that happened, that that would be great for them, I think. Um, and, and if they can continue to compound at a lofty rate with the multiples that they're currently sporting, um, and I, I know we shouldn't talk about valuation, but uh, there's there's something here if 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 the business is defensible and durable and sustainable, which bull case is that yes, it is. Yep, I agree. Ryan, well, what's yours? Yeah, my bull case is that they're able to be uh, a high quality bank. Uh, they're able to grow customer deposits at sort of a double digit rate for the next several years for reference. And I'm not sure how much of this was due to maybe the environment that they're in, but deposits grew 12% sequentially. So quarter over quarter to $2.8 billion in the third quarter. Um, that's really going to drive, I mean, customer deposits are going to drive uh, growth for them because that's lendable assets right there. Um, and they're able to earn interest income on that. That's that's for me the bull case is that it, it the lending club is a good bank. Yeah, I'm going to be even more optimistic because I don't even think they need to grow origination volume to stay like to make this a good investment given their valuation. I just think you need to have it stay stable, loss ratios stay low, and then turning into the full banking operation for you know a couple of different uh, years, two to three years, something like that. Get that fully operational. I think if that happens, if volume's the same and 20% of it is on their balance sheet, uh, they'll do fine. You add on rising interest rates, which there's a net positive, I think. Now it's tougher to lend, but they'll get much more net interest income, which has soared since 2020. I think that, and then if you grow, actually grow origination volume, I think it would be a fantastic investment. The big thing is, and I think we'll get to this with our bear case, you know, how confident are we that that's actually going to happen? So Brad, what's, what's your bear case? Are you you sure rising rates is a good thing for them? I feel like that's probably bad. Well, it's good for net interest income. It's harder for lending for them. It's 36% of the cap right now. They can do that. No, I'm talking. So when you're lending out, so when you're lending out, it's harder because you know, your cost of capital is harder for a bank, but when you have the assets on your balance sheet, you'll earn a higher rate on that because your net interest income will be higher. Yeah, Demand just- headwind, profit tailwind. Yeah, I think it'd even out to be fine. So I guess it's like, it, I, I don't know, it could be a net negative, but I think it'd probably be a net positive just because they're a bank now. All right, Brad, do you want to hit bear case? Yeah, I, I think I'll go with, with the minority argument here, which is I don't love the the, the path of of becoming a bank. Um, so I, I I really I, I I mean banks banking is extremely commoditized, extremely competitive, um, and 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 extremely regulatory uh, intensive. I'm no I'm not saying that right, but but oh well. And I think the path of of choosing to partner with banks and and to be um, kind of the data science arm and, and to plug into bank ecosystems that have access to all this data because they have millions of members, I think is just a, a, a way easier path to success. And I don't think that, that the path that Lending Club is, is taking um, is is the correct one. And and I, and I could always, I reserve the right to be wrong as, as people say uh, so often, but the bear case is that I'm not wrong, that, that um, becoming the asset light fintech that uplifts and augments banks is a, is a more lucrative path than, than trying to do their traditional banking. Right. That I think is, yeah, big concern that banking itself is just a commodity and they do not have the established 
they're not a giant one that I don't know, it's, it'll be tough for them in that regard. All right, Ryan, what's your bear case? I think a lot of what Brad just said is probably comes into my bear case as well. The other one, and I think there's a few bear cases that could play out. First off is that there's another 2016 like scenario that occurs and that there's something fishy going on under the hood with maybe some of their uh, loans. And then second is that they don't have a competitive data advantage um, that they say they do uh, and that consumers are really just looking for the lowest possible rate. And then on the other side, uh, not only on the lending side, but on the digital or on the customer deposit side, like there isn't the differentiation. Like if they are the same and it is sort of a commoditized industry and uh, people are just looking for the highest yield in their checking account um, or their savings account, that's, that's a hard, uh, that's a really competitive market. Yep. Yep. I think, yeah, it's another good way to describe it. My bear case is that the, the ROE and profitability bump that they had the last quarter, it was really last quarter, a little bit, it's two quarters ago. That was just a one-time thing. It looks like it probably isn't, um, but it's hard to tell. I mean, their track record over the last five years is not strong. Yeah. They had COVID. Yeah. They were absorbing the bank. Yeah. They, they really had those problems with the FTC and stuff. So maybe it's permanent. Maybe ROE will be higher over time. Uh, and then on top of that, if origination volume dries up as they start losing to competitors, that would kill. I mean, it would just make the business a lot smaller. The, the whole key here is origination volume, good loss ratios, and building, uh, growing the balance sheet. That If that happens, like that's good. If it doesn't happen, the investment's going to be bad. All right. More or less interested, Brad, what are your final thoughts here? Yeah, I really thought I, I really, really thought I was going to be more interested uh, at the end of the episode, but I, I think less interested. And, and I just it's because I agree that there's nothing really defensible here. And I think how you create a defensible product within this very um, mature and established lending market is is with data science and is with um, AI and ML models that 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 I think um, banks need in order to do things better and 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 and, and, and banks need an ability to collect and aggregate and make sense of a lot more data than they currently do. Um, and I think that's where you create the value and that's where you differentiate yourself. Um, and I don't think that's, or I, and I know that's not where um, Lending Club is, is going. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to see from them and wasn't really what I wasn't really what I saw. So hopefully I'm wrong. A lot of smart people love Lending Club and and uh, there's there are reasons to really like it. But for me at this point in time, less interested. Yeah, I think, I can speak for all three of us here. One of the big concerns is uh, analyzing a bank is not our forte. So I would be kind of worried about missing some stuff. Um, I don't know if Brad, if you're in the same boat there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the financial statements between Upstart and, and Lending Club are a lot different than you might think they would be. And that's just because Upstart's a software company and Lending Club is a bank. Um, so, so yeah, it really does add a, a layer of complexity um, that you have to really take your time to, to grasp if you want to be invested. Exactly. Brian, what's, what are your final thoughts? I'm less interested. There's a, a lot of um, uncertainties for me with Lending Club, or especially like sort of macro uncertainties. I'm not sure how much the performance lately is temporary versus sustainable. Um, and then on top of it, I don't know how the digital banking landscape is going to play out, which is obviously a huge part of their business now. So uh, just all in all, less interested. Yeah, I'm going to be less interested. Uh, I, I have a trouble understanding banks, so it kind of makes it put it in the too hard pile already. 
I think if I did, it seems like a compelling valuation. If you could really dive down, you're kind of like, well, no one's like Buffett with banks, but like if you, you know, you understand it to a level where you can kind of tell who's better than another, which I can't, then maybe this could be an opportunity. But again, uh, that's why I'm less interested. Also, I feel like the predictability of who's going to want to go to what um, institution, whether it be lending club, um, traditional banks, upstart itself, which I guess they they do more of the, they're not doing it themselves, but SoFi, OpFi, gosh, there's other ones out there. There's so many. I think the predictability of where lending couple be at in 2025, their origination volume, I have trouble having any confidence in a prediction there. So that's why I'm less interested. Brad, you have something to add? Yeah, just one more thing for for the uh, listeners. If if you're invested in Upstart or SoFi or Lending Club or any other financial institution, um, all of them are going to say we do better at this, 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 and this. But you, you, there's there's free information out there where you can vet what they're saying. So the Kroll Bond Rating Agency and Morningstar DBRA, um, they both have free surveillance reports that you can go into and look at these securitization transactions and see how loss ratios are actually outperforming. Um, so you don't have to rely on a CEO with every incentive to talk up their own book to actually understand that they're doing better. So I would just really lean heavily on those data sources if you're going to invest in any of these. Right. That is a great point. All these management teams do talk up their lending standards. Um, all right. Stock for next week. It was my choice. And I did a poll on the Chit Chat Money account. If you want to participate in these or give us any suggestions, follow us. Uh, just search Chit Chat Money on Twitter. You'll be able to find it. Or email us. Or email us. It's in every show notes. Uh, we get some of those there too. Um, the choice was uh, by the listeners was Axon Enterprise. This is one. Brad, have you heard of it before? I know they, they have tasers. <laughs> they they make tasers. They are the company that makes the taser and they do a lot more now. So it'll be fun to do that one. Kind of a big software business. It'll be an electric um, episode. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Ryan, anything else before we wrap up? No. Uh, feel free to leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple if you want. Uh, we appreciate that. Helps the show grow. Uh, and the Spotify one literally takes two seconds. You don't even it, there's no comment or anything like that. You just one or five stars, whichever one you want. Yeah. It can take less than, yeah, it can take less than five stars. Say five stars. Like Brad said, <laughs> don't, uh, don't do one star. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 